Hi everyone and welcome to the CVM Ireland podcast. Here at CVM we are a search and rescue agency seeking to see men's lives transformed through the power of the gospel of Jesus. We help churches all over Ireland and beyond try to achieve this and help us guys as we journey every day in our lives following Jesus. We want to let you enjoy our recordings from our 2019 DNA Men's Conference, which took place in Carmoney. Uh, it happens every year as we gather hundreds of men from all over the island of Ireland and beyond, as we worship, as we lift up the name of Jesus, and as we encounter him and get the grips with the challenges he lays out to us as men. So sit back, relax, and be blessed. I was worried I was going to lose mine yesterday, um, but thankfully I haven't. Um, so uh, if you can't hear anything, uh, move closer. <laughs> or, uh, or hold your hand up a little bit. Um, I, I have the pleasure of having these three men uh, alongside me, and we're going to get to know them. We're going to look at uh, their context and where they are, um, where they are living for Christ, how they came to become Christians or to have a relationship with Jesus, uh, with God in and through Jesus, and then how that affects them in their day-to-day world. Um, so we have Neil, we have Mark, and we have Shane. Um, and I'm going to get them to do the talking. You don't want to hear my voice. Um, so I'm going to start with Mark. Um, Mark, would you be able to just tell us, and I, these are going to be questions that we're going to, they're all going to answer, which makes it easy for me again. Um, but I want you to tell us a little about, about your context now, where you are, what you do. Um, go ahead. Okay. Can everyone hear me? Yes. All right, if I. Um, my name is Mark Patterson. Um, I, um, I live Bally Bogey, wonderful little small village just up near Coleraine. Um, and currently, I run a small company that restores traditional buildings. Um, so using lime mortars and all that sort of stuff. So um, I manage that company and we do um, training and consultation on repairing old buildings. We do um, the work itself and we also supply materials so we sort of cover all the bases there. So that's what I'm currently doing um, as my job. Um, on my Christian um, side of my life, if that's the wrong way to do it for this. <laughs> um, I, I attend Cornerstone Church, which is up in Derry, um, and for a number of years I was involved on staff at Causeway Coast Vineyard, and so it was a wonderful place to learn from Alan Scott and the team there. So that's a little bit about me. Family. Family, the important bit. Um, I've got a wonderful wife, um, Abigail. Um, she's actually uh, my... Um, high school sweetheart, so we met at school. Uh, I married, <laughs> married 18 years ago. I hope she listens to this. Now married 18 years there last week. Um, and I have four kids uh, from 15, uh, Noah, and I've got Grace, who's 13, Solomon, who's 11, about to do his AQE, you're 11, uh, and Kai, who's 7. Um, so that's, that's the team. Well, my name is Neil Graham. I am 42. You didn't say your age. <laughs> Older or younger? Uh, currently I work at Porsche Golf Club. I'm the professional there. Uh, very busy club. I've been in golf most of my life now. So I've worked there for six, nearly six years. And it's absolutely flown in. I'm married to Francie. Again, I've 
probably a better woman than, than Abigail, to be honest. Not this competition. No, she's a great girl. Uh, married two kids. Maya's ten, just turned ten, and Emma's seven. Great. Fifty-six from from Bangor. Uh, I'm uh, chief executive of a, a charity called Bryson. Uh, we reach about 28 to 30,000 of those who are in most severe need, and most of what we do, we do it below the radar. We have about 1,000 1,200 staff. We work with terrorists to try to get them to stop, wise up and change. We work with prostitutes to try to help them <coughs> move in a different direction. We work with uh, young people who are 16 to 20 who have been rejected by society, who are addicted to, to alcohol, drugs, or prostitution, uh, who society has forgotten, who essentially can't read, can't write, and have been rejected. Uh, we work with infants who are being abused and terribly brought up and who are on a trajectory to miss mainstream education. We work with uh, all of the refugees and illegal immigrants. So on my way into work in the, in the mornings, I'll quite often step over half-dead bodies of people who have been trafficked and thrown off the back of containers. Uh, so we, we, we work with those who are in uh, dire need. Uh, married, I have two young adults. I'm not allowed to call them children anymore. <laughs> They're 20 and 18. <coughs> Thank you. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd love to just explore um, how each of you, uh, your testimony, how you came um, to become a Christian. Um, and this time, we'll start with you, Shane. Uh, I, I came to become a Christian when I was late. I was uh, 39. It took me a long time to wise up. Um, I didn't think I needed God. In fact, I thought God was for people who had failed. At that stage in my life, I spent 10 years in the Army and Royal Marines. Uh, I had also been a, a managing director, a chief executive, I think three, maybe four times at that stage. Had plenty of money, had lived what superficially was the, the dream or the ideal world <coughs> and uh, the ideal script. Um, children were born with a, a very difficult medical condition. Uh, one nearly died, uh, brought me to my knees because for the first time it was something I simply couldn't cope with and uh, being in such a, a, a place I'd never been before uh, I cried out to God for help and uh, he, he did and uh, children are thriving and uh, he gave me the chance to, to wise up and, and that, that turned everything 180 degrees <coughs> the right way around uh, I previously thought it was about me I then understood that it absolutely wasn't. It was about God and the source of all love and goodness and truth, forgiveness, grace, excellence, everything that was right. It really had very little to do with me because God was the source. So it took me to be nearly broken and on my knees to understand that at the end of me there was something much better, uh, 180 degrees the other way. Um, I, well, I might come back to you for because I've heard an extended version of that, which is great. Um, uh, Neil, what about you? Tell us your, tell us your story. Uh, well, I was brought up in a, a loving Christian home down the North Peninsula. And I went to Gospel, Gospel Hall, 
So I was saved a few times when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> Every Sunday night I was saved. <laughs> so I knew the gospel. Uh, you know, say what you want to be brethren churches. They get the, the little off flack. There's a lot of good stuff in there too. Uh, you know, they build, they build their, their faith in the word of God. And, uh, so, yeah, so I grew up in that and fell away when I was about 16, 17. Uh, drink, everything. It goes with that, nights out. Um, probably about 23, 24 years of age. I was lying to the team and I was like, says, there's a job there as an assistant professional in Mazarin Golf Club. I'd never heard of Mazarin. And it was, I played off one or two handicap back then. I went through different various jobs and I was just living for the weekends and doing all that. So and she says to me, oh, you know, if you move down from it means you, you know, you'll move out of the house. So my instant reaction was happy days, party time. That was, so that was it. That was the reason why I turned professional. That was to go and party, to get out of the house and to live my life that way. And really short story, two, uh, two years into that, I was just living that life and um, I, started, I met Francine. We had a conversation over a meal one time about marriage and bringing up kids, and it sort of hit home with me then. You know, I'm, not, I'm not living my life the way I want to live my life. I went home that night, and I just I got down on the, on the seat, and I prayed that you know God would restore my heart. And I got up, I left my cigarettes, started smoking again. Nothing happened, nothing changed. There was no flash of lightning, and. About two or three months later, um, I, set, I separated with Francine uh, at that time, and I was writing a testimony, and that was how I was doing it. I was writing a testimony to her to, to explain why I'm doing it, about being on like, the yoke and stuff like that. And I just burst into tears when I was writing it at work. So if anybody had to come in, I was embarrassed, but not, and you know me, I don't really cry that much. But that was uh, that, that was like a turning point for me, and. Then, Long story short, again, Francine invited her to church and she, she gave her life to Christ. And her mum gave her life to Christ uh, just through writing my testimony to her. Um, has created this. Um, her father, not yet, but he's got an axe in his back. Um, but yeah, so life for me is, I would say, it's, it's a, you know, the golf environments. You know, it's, it's not a hard job. It's sort of the wrong through there actually a couple of Sundays ago. A friend of mine's at the GP. Somebody collapsed in church, and he's away. You know, possibly saving their life. And what? You know, what am I going to do? I'll teach her the golf swing. Why not just slice it off? So my job is pretty easy. Um, the skill things. But I've, I think a poignant part of my life because of my past and what I grew up with, um, maybe stifling the Holy Spirit. It's never really hard for me when I grew up. And I went, three years ago, I went to Open Skies Festival, if you ever heard of Open Skies. And that stage, was going, we were going through a bit of counselling, uh, fancying myself, and just various things. And the guy, he just looked at me and he says, he says, you love Francine and you love God with all of your head and not all of your heart. And that was just like, that was profound for me. Mm. And uh, I thought, I don't want to say, but you're right, mate, you know. Um, so I went home and you know, that was all I could think about. You know, how do you do this? How do you, how do you love God with all your heart? And 
at that Open Skies Festival. There was a seminar on, it was actually John from the Melissa Hilsner, who wrote that song, No Longer Slaves. So he was, the head was something about from the head to the heart. And so I went and listened to it. And he was, he was talking it really, he was talking all romanticism and stuff, and I thought, he's not, he's not realising Northern Ireland, he's going to get beat up if he keeps talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was sort of, I was actually getting quite angry, I was sitting on my hands and something else, you know. I don't know why I was getting angry. And then his, his wife got and prayed, and I just broke down. Absolute tears. And something I never do, and I, I ran out, and the wife and kids were in another tent. And I just... Sorry, but again, again, about three or four nights prior to that, we were at a friend's house, and the girl says to me that we're with, and when we were praying, she says, Neil, I feel God saying that you have shame in your life. And I went, right, it's, you know, guilt and shame. Uh, again, if you're maybe prone to the way I was growing up, there was maybe an element of that involved in how I saw God. I saw God as this judge and this... Uh, hypersensitive God, if you make a mistake, he turns his back. And, you, you know, wait till you do something good before you get his, you know, his, you know, his big tech again. So I'm sorry I saw God at that stage, but so I had shame, and, and it was quite a, like, he had another in my life. And, when, and in that, I, I just, I must have cried for several hours. I went into the worship tent, and I just cried. I just remember crying and crying and crying. And I couldn't control it, but it was, it, was a very, it was very peaceful at the same time. It wasn't sadness. Um, and this lasted for two or three days. And I just remember, I just, from talking to Francine about it, just, it was God dealing with my shame and guilt. And it's something that God has changed on me. I it's not something I asked for. It's not something I, you know, he took it away from me, thank, you know, thankfully. And, and that's, that moment has changed my life. But unfortunately, we're, we're built for valleys, we're not built for mountains. We could have stayed there for a long time, you know, but God just, he doesn't want us in mountains all the time. He's, we're built for the valley, and that's, you know, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, what, what did they do? They came down and they healed the sick. You know, they wanted to build an altar, but they came down. Uh, so back into reality, but um, quite a profound time in my life, and that's, a, that's something that's changed me. So, you know, since then, you know, our family's been healed with intolerances and allergies, and again, that's another story as well, all, all five of us, all four of us, in fact, there's another family mm -hmm. friendly with, we were healed as well, so, that's another story. Friendly. Yeah. Mark, yeah. and you? Yeah, like Neil, I grew up in a, in a Christian family, I went to children's church, and went to Sunday, or to church at least twice every Sunday. Uh, and grew up on that where I always knew God, always knew God loved me um, and always had a connection with him. But when I was 11, uh, I gave my life to Jesus. I made a commitment, uh, a scripture union camp, because um, I really felt that night God speaking to me. And it was, it was a strange feeling as an 11-year-old to feel this God that he knew so much about and that was, that was sort of distant, I guess, was, was spiritual and distant and more personal at that point to me. Came right down and touched me and uh, became a real personal relationship at that point. Um, so, yeah, I was in a small rural country church, um, and as I grew up then and became a teenager, then you sort of rebel and you ask more questions, and, um, and I probably I drifted away from God incrementally, I think, um, got to university. Um, I was never a, a bad lad, but I, I definitely backslid, and um, you know, I, I drank too much, um, and I, I went out too much, and, um, and I really didn't spend any time with God at all, and 
Uh, I was actually travelling in Canada as a student. Um, I was working my way across Canada and I ran out of money. Um, and I met a couple of guys I was travelling with and they went on and I was basically on my own. Um, and, uh, and in that moment of loneliness, I guess, I mean, like these guys are saying, whenever you're at your lowest point, it's wrongly, but it's when you turn uh, and get on your knees and go, I, I need you. And when you can't do it yourself anymore, it's when you turn to them and say, I need you. Um, so at that point, um, I had a real encounter with God. His presence just fell on me one night in bed. Um, and from that point on, it's been a real, like a, a switch back on again um, of our relationship. And uh, he burns brightly with me every day, and I still just love encounters with him. Um, so, yeah, so there's more to the journey. I um, got married and journeyed family life and kids and things like that, and the ups and downs that that brings. Um, and really, like I was saying, worked at Causeway Coast Vineyard. Um, that basically the move to the Causeway Coast Vineyard was a hunger in us as a family and, and certainly with my wife and I um, we were hearing a lot in, in church that we were at about God and about um, we were reading the New Testament about all the things that happened there and, and it promised you know Jesus promising us that you'll see more than this and we were going well, we're not actually we don't see this this faith alive in the world today we don't see the presence of God um, and things like that so that's that journey actually through Mandate, which was a precursor to, to this conference, um, a guy, Erwin McManus, um, that led us to uh, Vineyard Church, and, and really that just opened us up to, to what he's doing today, and just to the presence of the Holy Spirit, and, and that, that balance between the Word and the Spirit, which I think for us, they struck beautifully. We've learned so much there, and uh, I say we're not there now, but we're, we're hopefully carrying what we've, what we've picked up there, and trying to deposit it where we can. Um, Shane, just to touch back on, onto you, you had some, as you were come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you had some encounters with God. Uh, I remember you talking about those um, <coughs> once. I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong, uh, but uh, if I am, do correct me. Um, but what were those? Like, and where were you? If you wouldn't mind just going on those just a little bit. Yes, uh, on at least three big occasions before actually finally wising up and becoming a Christian, I'd cried out to God for help. He'd always helped me, and I never even thought so much as thank him. So, uh, uh, in the uh, I was involved in an incident in the Marines where I nearly lost my leg. Uh, I thought the leg was going to be amputated just below the knee. It started to go gangrenous, and there was a uh, a Royal Marines, a, a naval uh, surgeon commander and a civilian surgeon and they were about to take the, the leg off and in tears of more uh, fear of losing the leg than the pain, well, it was pretty painful um, I just cried out to God, God please can I keep my leg uh, I was in a wheelie next door into the, the wee chapel prayed the same thing put me back into the operating theatre they were about to knock me out and one of the surgeons said, I'm just going to check the leg again here, see what state it is in. And he said, oh, flip, there's something very strange going on here. I can feel a pulse. Let's start. Let's wait for a bit. Um, three operations later, I didn't lose my leg. No, I, I didn't think anything of it. Um, <laughs> 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 so I myself. An ungrateful um, daughter born, uh, nearly died at birth went and prayed when we were told that uh, likely it was, she would, she would die, she was too ill to be christened and we were told, 
you know, probably say goodbye to her. I think it was day 12. Um, went into the, it was in the Ulster Hospital, went into the, the chapel in the hospital. Didn't feel worthy to go to the front, went to the very back, crying again. <coughs> said, God, please, can, can she not die? Went back in and uh, happened to be a consultant going past. Very rare condition, diagnosed, and she didn't die. One of the side effects of the condition, thankfully, you know, kids are great, good health, you know, fantastic. But in, in the early days, a lot of things can go wrong. One of the things that could go wrong was uh, lines. It was month seven, uh, I started to cloud, told this doesn't look good. Same hospital, same chapel, same seat at the back. Uh, Lord, please, can I not go blind? Came back in, consult, different consultant. Daughter's eyes are starting to clear. This, this, looks, this looks good. So there were three big things, and there were probably quite a few smaller times, but those are the three that stand out. When I didn't, I didn't even thank God, didn't acknowledge, uh, just cracked on. Uh, it actually then took me to be in a place where I was on my knees and completely broken then to say to God, I just knelt down by the bed, to God help, I'm, I'm wrong, you're right. There is a better way, it's not my way, it must be you, I'm sorry I keep forgetting you, please help me. And that was at about 10 or half 10 at night and, and the next day I, I had a business and one of, two of my directors I knew were Christians and never talked to me about it before. And one of them came to me and said, look, um, he was a Gideon, I, I've got a Gideon's New Testament in Psalms for you. And I've been wanting to give this to you for ages but... I haven't felt comfortable, but you see about ten, half ten last night. Something happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I want you to, this was really real firm, and I want, I want you to read this New Testament in Psalms. Yeah, I did. Another one who was a Baptist lay preacher came to me and said, Shane, there's a thing here called Word for the Day. Uh, we have Word for the Day. Uh, it's a simple message from God every day in a short Bible reading. I wanted to give this to you for ages, but. I really felt uncomfortable giving it to you, but you see, about ten, half ten last night. <laughs> so, it, 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 so it was extremely. It, it, I, I was so mule-like and so stubborn. It took me to be broken and then get really clear, simple messages of affirmation, and I got flipping dozens and dozens of them. Uh, so I have no doubt that there is only one way, and it's God's way, it's Christ's way. Thank you very much. Um, so. I heard your, your, your stories of how you uh, came to come into a relationship with, with God through Jesus. Fantastic stories, and a bit about your context as well. But we're looking at an audience of one. Um, how how does that translate into your daily lives? An audience for one, an audience of one within your individual context. And we'll start with Neil this time. How does that translate? And some of the stories from. You know, what's happened in the last few years or whatever. So. Yeah, I think it's given the one, you know, Jesus, your, your first fruits. You know, I find it helps me. I'm a morning person, so I like getting up in the mornings and, you know, around reading them. That's that's my time. Others well, like an evening time, but my eyes are shut. Um, so that's my time. And I'm um, always just thank God for the day and that uh, I'll go through with integrity. Uh, it's good. It's having the mindset of, um, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I have four or five people in the shop, so to have a, 
you know, a leader's heart is nearly like a servant heart as well. So you're, you know, you're not expecting them to do stuff that you wouldn't do. So I get my hands dirty. I, I just do everything that everybody does. Um, I'm no different than them, but at the same time, when it comes to you know some stuff, I'm you know ultimately the boss. Um, so it's it's not going after titles, you know. It's, uh, it's going after having a tile. I've only told me one time, you know. It's not craving a title, it's craving a tile and going after people that way. So it's just remind yourself that for me it's every morning, but well, most mornings I can. But the times are in the summer times you can get re really, really busy and really stressful. So, you know, at times with stress I just go into myself and you know, I don't pray as much, I don't read as much. But before that I would have had a guilt involved and I don't even do it today, so we have to guilt, but I don't have that anymore. Uh, which is which is great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a father, and I know understand him. You know, if my child is being mischievous. I don't fall out of love with my child. I still love my child. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's how my father's life. But for me, um, we just with, uh, with our Badley thing, um, Spud. He for me. Uh, I know Spud. I've known Spud for three or four years now. So he for me. This idea of maybe doing something for the Open Championship when it comes, because I'm ordering obviously four miles away from Portland. He says, well, what can we do? He says, do you know any players? And I'm like, no. Do you know any guys who have faith in Jesus? I don't. But I know somebody who does, so I'll contact my friend Pete, who lives in the States, lives in Annapolis, just outside of DC. And I met him three or four years ago. I actually met his father first, and Pete is a chaplain on the PGA Tour, so he knows all these players, and he would take the, uh, their church service, their church service is on Tuesday night, because the guys are playing on Sunday, so the tournaments run from Thursday to Sunday, so they tend to arrive at these places on Tuesday, and then they meet in a hotel, or you know, in the clubhouse on Tuesday night, so I phoned Pete up and just run this past them, and, and he said, well, see what they're going to do, so he invited us over to Orlando, so you know, things you have to do. <laughs> uh, so we went to Orlando, so there four of us went, Spud won, uh, and a couple of other guys, and we had a good time. The met us, uh, we met, they invited us to their Tuesday night service, which was brilliant, so they walked, they gave us love, and uh, a few of the other players, obviously, you sort of look up to, and you're like, going, right, okay, different scenario here, but there was about maybe 12, 15, 15 of us in the room. So it was a nice intimate uh, time we had, and uh, so Aaron Badley was there, so Spud and him got on really well. So two of them chatted up most of the night, so he agreed to, to meet us the next day in Bay Hill, where we were at, so it was beside the Arnie statue, and he did an interview, and it was powerful. He just, he just, he just loves Jesus. Has anyone seen it, the uh, one video of Aaron Badley? Yeah, it's worth the watch. Yeah, very, very good. You know, he spoke. They just asked him questions, so it was like a, a filtering point. People just were walking past. You know, all the players walking past going to the first tee, and by the time twenty minutes, there was a big. I don't know many people around. Just twenty or thirty people just listening to what Arm Valley was saying. You know, all these people. But he just he didn't filter. He just kept looking at the camera and just was, you know, was basically preaching Jesus Christ and the cross and powerful. So, uh, yeah, and then we met up with a few of the other guys. And Stuart Sink arranged them. He agreed to come over for the Open Championship. And then Andrew Putnam, another guy who's up and, up and coming there. 
So then we had an event uh, during the Open Championship at Korea. So that was how that all came about. But the one thing that stood out for me was the Arm Valley video. We organised a golf day uh, through CDM, through Spud, and there were 30 guys went, <coughs> six of us had faith. And you were there. I was there, yeah. And so it's putting, it's putting us, you know, making us feel uncomfortable. You know, it's normally 26 Christians and four non-Christians, and they feel uncomfortable. So we're sitting in the in the hotel that night, and, you know, carrying on and having a bit of crack and, you know, having a pint or whatever, and spoke it up and said a few things, and then he played the arm badly video. And after it, you could hear a pin drop. And it just opened up the whole thing for conversation about Jesus Christ and, you know, these guys are talking about Jesus. And it's just, it was a really good video, a really good way to, way to do things. So it's just for me, on a Monday night, um, last year, a friendly with a guy, Tim, so we started, we just, we'll have Start this thing. We'll meet at six o'clock, and we just play golf. Nine, front nine holes at the Strand, and whoever comes comes. So we've played with a lot of guys, and there's two or three guys in, in particular who've played with us every week now. And from that, um, the conversations again come around to Jesus and come around to church. And I was actually able to, to, to share my faith with Brian, one of the guys, uh, you know, after a round of golf, just the two of us for, for that night. So it's just, I think it's just what um, the gentleman said down there. It's just, first thing is just make yourself available and make it consistent and do it. So God has given me a gift of golf, I think. <coughs> and it's just using that and I love Jesus. So it's combined with that. So that's as simple as that for me. Yeah, fantastic. Great. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I could talk for a long time on this, I think, but I was trying to distill it. I think. Uh, from Vineyard, one of the most important things uh, I picked up, uh, a big thing for them is it's not about building a big church, it's about what happens when church leaves the building, because that's where church is needed, it's outside the building, it's not inside. Um, so for me, in the world of business, um, one of the big things that I've learned, probably the most important thing that I've learned is to know who I am and what I carry um, whenever I'm out and about, um, as a business owner, uh, as a father, as a husband, um, as a friend. Um, and when I say that, I mean knowing who you are is knowing your identity in Christ, um, knowing who he sees you as and what he sees on you, um, and the other is the, the authority you carry. Um, and I mean authority not over other people, but the authority that you carry over the kingdom of darkness, the authority that you, that we were chatting about earlier, that, that armour, if you put it on, the authority that you carry with that means that you're already winning that battle. I mean, it's... We used to always say it's not fair. If you come up against something, it's just not fair. Um, we, have, we have a secret weapon. We, we have a solution already in us. Um, we carry kingdom. Um, so for me, um, it's I guess it's remembering that on a daily basis um, and then doing that in my everyday life. So you know, my everyday ordinary life, as it says in, in Romans. Um, so at the minute, for me, um, that looks like it shifted from church where you were able to be pastoral naturally um, and you're expected to be um, and it shifted to um, I guess carrying that into the business place so the people I employ and the people I work with, the customers I interface with and um, it's I'm not overtly walking in there and saying my name's Mark and I'm a Christian, pleased to meet you but it's that culture that you carry and it's the way you carry yourself and uh, when I recruit people I don't recruit people I look to release people so I'm wanting to see what's on them, I'm wanting to to, to pull the gold out of it, especially young men, so uh, I have a real heart for young men, 
Um, young guys who maybe haven't had a great chance in life, young guys who have been discarded or have never been told they're of any value. Yeah. Um, but to see guys like that and see the gold, um, my prayer is to see them with the eyes that, that God sees them with um, and to be able to, to, to try and tease that out of them, to tell them that they have value, that they have worth, that they are important, um, that they are capable, they are able, um, and then give them an opportunity to, to learn, to make mistakes, uh, but to learn um, we all make mistakes. Um, so yeah, that's on my day-to-day, that's what I try and do. I've got a wonderful young guy with me at the minute who's had a bit of a checkered past. Um, has sorted himself out largely, but he's come and he's working with me and I've just seen such amazing things on him. And it's just a privilege from my point of view to be able to give him a, a, an opportunity to, to springboard into the person he ultimately, hopefully, will, will become. Um, I have other dreams, so I don't know if I'll always be in the traditional building world, but I have other dreams to, to work with young men and to try and release them through other things like uh, you know my story about uh, trying to trying to create a farm. Yeah. Um, so God's spoken to me um, uh, for a number of years, and I've pushed into it several times, but we're not there yet. But I, I have a, a real vision of, of opening a farm. I'm not a farmer, a family who are, but I'm not. I have no farming gifts. Um, I need a lot of help there. But I see, I see the opportunity to bring guys, maybe who are falling off the end of the care system, um, who are unvalued, unwanted, um, and are, like you were saying, are destined just to follow what's been modelled to them with their peer group or by their, their, their family, um, and end up not fulfilling the purpose that God has placed within them, that individual design that he's placed upon them. Um, so I think farm for me, he's spoken to me about it, there's something about the earth, about working in the earth, about the cycles of life, about seeing things thrive, seeing things die, with coping with that, with teamwork. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to create a profitable, viable farm that was able to, to bring guys along and give them the opportunity within that to, to thrive. So, um, But yeah, for you guys, I'm sh- I sort of really felt when I was coming here that, like me, there's guys here who have maybe set dreams aside or set dreams down or have, have sort of <coughs> pushed them to the back thing and it's not for me, I'm not capable, I'm not able. But, um, I feel today that God's really speaking to you in particular and saying that um, you know, don't put that dream aside. I, I am the dreamer who gave you those dreams. I've been speaking to you. Uh, it's who you are. It's what I've placed in you. You have unique skills and abilities in that area. Um, and uh, he's telling you to push into it, to pick it up, to, to push those doors. It's not going to land in your lap, as I know well, trying to get the farm going. But push into those things and, uh, and you know, he, he will, he'll meet you there. And, uh, so yeah, just to encourage you and maybe challenge some of you. That's great. Before I do my quick bit, could I echo that? Uh, there's a piece in Exodus that says about vision, people perish. And people tend to think that vision has to be some big, magnificent, grandiose <laughs> thing. It can be a vision of a previous life, the perfect line the perfect scrum. It can be something that is a year ahead, it can be something that's three years ahead, but each individual needs to have it and seek it. And if you have a vision that's in front of you, keep shaping it, keep growing, keep going forward. The devil will say you can't do it. The devil will say vision is for somebody else. The vision is personal. Vision is what God wants you to do with your life. And you have to keep seeking for that. Otherwise, you're, you're taken out by the devil. The devil will go for lowest common denominator, safest, most critical, most, you know, the worst place. But vision, go for, go for what's best. Go for the highest common denominator. Uh, whatever is excellent, noteworthy, praiseworthy, true, you can think on these things. For me, it's about uh, getting...
getting the goodness from God and then trying to uh, be God's channel to, to use that. So when my daughter was six or seven, she said, Daddy, who do you love more? Do you love uh, me, my brother, more? Or do you love God more? I didn't know how to answer. <laughs> so quick prayer. And I got, I think it was a good answer. It certainly wasn't mine. I was like, God is the source of love. And I said to her, God, love comes from God. And the closer I am to God, the more love he can give me, the more good things he can give me to give to you. So every day I try to seek God. Uh, so I don't get out of bed in the morning without a minute's prayer. Uh, I pray before all meetings, phone calls. Increasingly, I find myself getting down on one or two knees and just like, thank you, help me. Just quick, short, sharp, I do 15 minutes, 10 minutes of a Bible study I would do, or my wife and I would do together if uh, the young adults are about, we'll try and do it with them. <laughs> uh, going to church is important, having Christian friends is important to debate things, wrestle things, have pray for them. And, uh, but then, what I try to do then is, uh, it's exactly as you describe, we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. People have massive potential that the devil tries to strip out and denude. When I joined the army, most of my soldiers would have been... I had one soldier who had three O-levels, GCSEs, and, and, and he was called the genius. The majority would have had criminal records and had been discarded by society, but yet when you expected and required them to be excellent, generally they surpassed your expectation, not always. So... For me, it is to try to meet people at their point of need, not where the church wants them to be, not where society, but meet them genuinely where they are and try and liberate the massive potential that is within each one of us. And that's particularly acute in those who society has rejected and who would be regarded as failures. Um, to, to, to try and behave like Jesus who met the the tax collectors, the murderers, the prostitutes, uh, the, the sick, and is to try and get out there and make the biggest possible difference at their point of need. Uh, so, so try and receive it, and as best I can, give it. And, and how has that worked itself out in your role within uh, the Bryson Group? Like, how has that been moving into that? Yes, it's been great. Uh, it's been something I've wanted to do for a number of years, and. Uh, we deal with people who are in acute need. Um, we save about 700 children a year from going into care by working with the families, working with the children on cleanliness, diet, discipline, dispute resolution, basic education, encouragement, positivity in their lives, better structure in their lives. We do, we do a ton of good, and I think we need to do a ton more good. And I think one of the things I can bring most is a strategic view of it where we've got to fix the cold face by playing upstream, by getting government policies, laws, investment priority changed to stop the, cold, the bad things in the cold face happening in the first place, particularly in the area of peace, uh, where there is an absence of vision where on both sides of the divide too frequently it's about what flag, what emblem, what anthem, what colour the curbstones are painted, not how do we get the healthiest, fittest, best educated, best employed people. Those things which unite. Mm -hmm. the, there was a, 
Prime Minister in Finland, who Finland used to be the sick man of Europe, but had the highest incidence of heart disease, highest incidence, one of the highest of suicide and so on. And she came in as Prime Minister and just plucked something out of the air. Finland was going to go from worst heart disease to best heart disease in 10 years. And they did that, but because they had one clear, simple vision, loads of other really good things happened at the same time. Educational attainment went up, suicide fell, cancer rates fell, uh, wealth was created, uh, depression rates almost disappeared because they were going for a vision. So I think my job is to try and get individual and collective visions to maximise the potential, particularly in bad situations. Um, one more question for you, Shane, actually, just um, while I remember um, how do you How would you encourage us as, as men to work out, and this is making it personal, but our visions, how would you encourage people just to tap into that wisdom? How do you encourage us to, and you guys can answer this as well, um, uh, how do you encourage us to, to, yeah. to do that? What do, you, what do you enjoy most? What are your best at? What lights you up? What do you feel closest to God doing? Don't force yourself into a direction that is alien, uh, but you know, provided it's wholesome. If you enjoy drinking and taking drugs, that's probably not the right If you enjoy coaching football, if you enjoy running, if you enjoy encouraging others, if you enjoy cleaning up the beach, it's, it's, that is where your vision is likely to be, because that's what God, God has made us all individually, and everybody is equal. But, and he's made us to work together, but each of us has our individual role to play. And it's if you, you just ask, like a straight question is pretty good, you know, God, what am I meant to do here? Will you make it clear? Will you show me? And keep asking, keep seeking. But usually it's where, having done that, it's what you enjoy most, it's what you feel freest, it's what you're rewarded to do, it's what people have come alongside you and encouraged. Thank you, Matthew. It's a good question. I want to think it was a. Sorry, different question. There was a, a, a lady I heard speaking once, and she said, It's wonderful to go to the people who are important to you in your life and say, What's it like to live on the other side of me? And ask your wife and ask your parents. And people that will give you a real, honest answer. And They'll tell you what you're good at and tell you what you're bad at. <laughs> you might start with the bad. But, uh, but take those people's counsel, people you trust, and they'll tell you what they see on you. I mean, but back to what I'm saying, what I've learned is knowing who you are and what you carry, warts and all, but knowing who God made you to be, knowing what He made you passionate about. It's what makes you cry as men, it's a strange thing, but what makes you, what give, brings emotion into you, what makes you really happy or really sad, what tugs at your heartstrings is quite often what God's touching you on and pushing. Uh, on you, but yeah, knowing who you are and what you carry, and um, that authority thing is massive. Knowing the potential that you have to change that, that he has put you there with, with that passion to make a difference. Fantastic. Um, uh, I'd, I'd love to open, we've got a few minutes, um, the guys have, yeah, we've got five minutes. Um, I'd love one or two questions from, from the audience if anyone wants to. Ask a question, hand up first, very school-like, so we don't have several voices, we don't have a microphone, so. but anyone got a question that they'd love to ask uh, any of these guys? Um, yeah. Yes? Um, the Bryson Group is not is a on Christian? No, it's a, it's a charity. It's a, it's a, it's a, a charity. Okay, so how do you, 
uh, apply your faith in that in that position. You know, it, it's how, how does it sit with the? It's it's who I am. It's what motivates me. It's the the words, the encouragement. It's uh, uh, you, you, I can't. I'm I'm quite open that I am a Christian, but I absolutely do not. You know. Uh, try to preach to them in any way. I try to try to make it the the actions. I would spend at least half my time at the cool face. So I would go out on a lot of calls, people's houses, schools, uh, meeting a lot of the people we help. Um, and so it's the, the tile thing. I think is brilliant. So I, th I think it's the Showing people Jesus rather than telling them. Yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the encounter. Role model. It's the encounter. So yeah, you are taking them. And it's also right trying to get them to have vision, a collective vision, an individual vision. Where can we be in three, five years? What's the maximum amount of good we can do in that period? What is your personal vision? Where do you want to be in three years? What's the max? What's the best you can be in three years? So, how can we be more effective meeting people at their point of need? So you can do it without. Uh, saying this is you know, hitting them over the head of the Bible because that's, that's completely counterproductive. Yeah. It plays into the devil's hands. Sure. Thanks. Any other questions? Yes, about good hand. Have you had occasion where you've not wanted to do something because of your morals and faith and found it difficult to openly say against it? How, how do you deal with wisdom? Well, you guys think I'd jump in with one. One ticket for me, I'm a small business owner, I deal with small clients and things, and quite often I have people coming up to me and I'm doing work for it, and they will ask me, will you take cash? So from a Christian point of view, they're going, will you, will you drop your price a wee bit if we give you a few thousand pound cash rather than... So in that moment it's very tempting because cash is always <laughs> very exciting uh, to get, it, get in and, and, and have, but for me as as a, as a Christian, I just like, I, you know, I have to you know, pay your taxes and things like that. I have to do it the right way. And that's as much for me, because if you, once you bend at one rule, you, know, I mean, you, you end up bending another rule, bend another rule. So for me, that's something, just a practical example of how um, I think the devil would test me as a small business owner to, um, to maybe cut, cut a corner or, or turn a blind eye or try and help someone else who, who probably doesn't have the money to fix up the old house because they eat, eat money. Um, and, the, and you understand these people are trying to do as much as they can with as little as they can, and your heart is going, it feels that, but at the same time you're going, no, I, I, mean, I can't, can't cut a corner. So that's just a really simple, practical um, example. That's mm. <coughs> no, actually a journey I went through because I'm in a business of cash as well, so it's very tempting to spend it. So we, part of the Monday night group we had way back, you know, something to share, and it was, a, it was a, it's just a temptation of just. Taking it, you know, it's your sorry, you know. So it's just it's, it's always a temptation there. I think so. Growing up, I remember uh, a wise old Christian counsel, um, a lady, um, talking to me as a teenager and, and saying, "You need to make your mind up now when the, the temptation's not there, about what you're going to do whenever you are tempted." So when that comes to sexual promiscuity or somebody coming up to you and saying, "You know, a little lovely looking girl coming up to you and offering you, um, you know, come back for the night stuff." So, in that moment, you're not going to be your strongest, so you have to have made your mind up and have your principles in place at, at a previous previous date, and then you, you'll you'll fall back on that. So it's the same with the, the cash thing and the money thing and the, how you treat people thing. You make your mind up. That's who I am. Yeah. Yeah, that gives you strength in that moment. It's a promise to God as well. Sometimes you just you know, 
between you and God as a covenant. I don't want to do this. And you're reminded of when the temptation comes. Right? Okay, I've made that promise. Mm. I'm standing on it. Just pray. You know, pray, pray for, for wisdom, for strength and protection. And pray to, to do what Christ wants you to do. Um, not always easy if I go off and very difficult. Great. Right, um, should we just thank these guys with a firm yeah. round of applause? Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been blessed by today's teaching. For more information on our ministry and everything that we do or to get in contact, head over to our website, cvm.ie. Hope to see you soon.